And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 159. My name is Damone Carter, a.k.a. Dem One. I am joined in Zoom by the mercurial Nate LeBlanc. How's it going, man? I'm good. Um, it's It's been like, it was like a weird day where I wasn't in particularly enjoying anything and then something cool happened and it kind of turned my day around. So that was like real, a really nice feeling. But I'm wondering what my attitude would be like if that thing had not happened that I didn't know was going to happen. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah, unexpected uh, good news, good fortunes. You you care to share with the listeners or is it like super personal? Oh, no, no, it's cool. It's um, my Edon article got published in oh, yeah. today. So I didn't yeah. know that was going to happen. And to oh, be really? honest, okay. like it had it like, it had been so long since I submitted it. I didn't know if it was ever going to happen. I was like hoping it would happen. I thought it was okay. But then I was like, I just never heard anything. Never like, heard nothing. Yeah. It was, there was no editing process. It was like, they, they acknowledged a receipt of it in November and now it's March and now it's like on the website. So I was just Ooh. like, Oh, cool. Like, no, that's dope. Yeah, yeah. man. I, I saw, I saw that today. I was, uh, that's exciting. It's a, it's a record that we talked about quite a bit on this show because it's flipping excellent and yeah it's yeah, actually good. funny a uh, a listener dm'd the show and he was like yeah i'm i'm a new listener i started at the most recent episode and i've been going backwards and uh you guys talk about this record a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah we and, like i think what we really do is talk about Edon a lot it's like just a constant reference point yeah. because we like his music so and it's he's kind of like the kind of artist that a show like this would cover right you know it's like, like an exemplary artist in some ways for us so anyway it's just funny the the weirdest part about all of it and it's available on waxpoetics.com in their rediscovery uh section of the new website which is really cool and scales really well to mobile so everybody check it out but um it's very weird to write about a record that came out in 2006 like it's an old record but shit it's an old record that's 15 years ago yeah that's crazy Isn't wow it? that is that's like, insane I was, I was an adult then and i'm an adult now so the time so it doesn't seem that long way. that's the uh that's the old 1980 was 20 years ago right <laughs> kind of uh and yet kind somehow of i am 40 it's, it doesn't make any sense uh yeah tell me about it man uh well congrats brother i'm i i've yet to read it but i definitely will because that that is uh not only you wrote it but it's one of my favorite uh yeah one of my favorite records it's of, real of a, short they're just time. blurbs but yeah it's it's just cool like yeah i was just like you know it was monday i had a long weekend i'm like tired and then it's like oh snap like this is great so it just changed right. changed up my whole deal but um yeah what are what are we doing today what are we doing today so on There's today's dave. dad bob <laughs> rap pod we are sauntering on without dave ma uh shout out to dave he um he's he's got his first vaccination dose so he's kind of dealing with the the after effects of that we hope everybody that can um uh, is getting hyped to the vaccination we are a pro vax program here uh all respect to freddie gibbs but um we over here getting vaccinated 
And uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're pushing through today. We got a, another dope interview, of course. That's what we do on Dad Bod Rap Pod. We keep bringing you interviews. And this is why we are the top five music interview podcast in America, according to Apple. That's not true. I don't know actually. what that means. It was uh, <laughs> top 66, but went up five points. Oh, that's whack. Yeah. We're 66? I yeah. thought we were five. No. Sadly, no. Damn it. Uh, we, Damn the it. tone of that email would have been a lot different if we were in the top five. I thought you were just being like, oh, wet blanket, like you can be sometimes. Like, oh, we're really top five. There's four people better than us. We're, we're top 70. That's nice. Okay. Yeah. I'm not I'm not mad at that. And, uh, and you know what? I don't I share don't... the chart data with you guys very often because it's like, it doesn't mean anything because it's mm-hmm. so, it's like, it's all over the place. Like, Sometimes it's 200, sometimes it's 40. There's no rhyme or reason to it. I don't know how they measure it. Like, I just, like, we have been in a lot of different chart positions. I only send it if it's funny. Like the week we were like number three in Sweden for music interviews or something. I just, that was a big week for me. Hilarious. That was a big week for me yeah. when we, we went full Ikea that time. Like, and, uh... Why? And I always assume it's based <laughs> on who the guest is, but sometimes I can't even tell which actual program they're referencing People or if it's aggregate. So it's uh, I hate to burst your bubble, but I am a bubble it. kind of person. Uh, we, that was not what I was sending. <laughs> oh, man. Well, my Monday just went down a notch. Um <laughs> Anyway, we're top we're a top 100 music interview podcast. Uh, we're glad that you're back with us for another episode. Um, this or last month, really, by the time you hear this, last month was is it Music Writer Experience Month? Okay, so for for those that don't know, Nate LeBlanc is about to break down to you the uh, Music Writer Experiment Experience. Experience. Uh, experience uh that has been going for a couple years as a as a meme on twitter and that you participated in break it down for the folks what what is the nwmwe sure it's um it's a it's a i don't know what you call it an activity um founded by past um dbrp uh contributor and someone who joined us at the round table sometime last year gary suarez um, at, at, at no yoko no on Twitter and um, the writer of the Cabbages newsletter and host of the Cabbages podcast. And um, it's something I've participated in the last couple of years. I never actually finished the month before. Um, I think basically being at home, um, I'm working from home for my day job. I have a lot different access to music than I did when I was at my desk. Mm. So, Besides my wife kind of getting mad at me for having headphones in more often than usual, which is pretty, pretty often already, um, I listened to the point of MWE is that each day in February, you listen to an album you've never heard and you write one tweet about it. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of help people broaden the base of the music that they listen to and to just check out those things you kind of never got around to and just to have an excuse to listen to new music and to compose a tweet about it and now like writing a tweet even though they've upped the character limit is not like writing a review so it's it's about the discipline of it and like Mm -hmm. the just just finishing the task of doing it so I decided to do my MWE this year on the LA beat scene um, Mm. which is something we've talked about on the show Um, I was really inspired by Laurent Fintoni's book um, Bedroom Beats and B-Sides which 
concludes with a, a long section on the LA beat scene. And I was helped along by music writers I respect, like Max Bell, who's really into that scene and who writes about instrumental music and Sun Ra, who um, they both helped put together the Passion of the Weiss 20 essential LA beat scene albums thing that I kind of mm-hmm. based my, my rubric on. And it was just cool. It's, it was a fun little experiment. I'm not sure that I will do it again. Um, and yeah. part of the reason that I'm not sure I'll do it again is I discovered when doing this, not, not that I'm a big deal at all, right? Like I have no, basically no standing in this music writing game whatsoever, but I have a little bit more than the past years I did it because we have a podcast and right. I interact with other artists. Platform is bigger. More. I have a little bit of a platform, right? A, a minuscule, but more than I did before. And uh, definitely found out that some artists search their own name on Twitter. And sometimes that's a good thing. I, I purposefully did not at anyone when I was sure. doing my my uh, little tweets. Like they're not even reviews. Like you can't like in good conscience call these reviews. But I am discussing albums, right? So um, an artist who I'm not going to name because they deleted their tweet kind of caught feelings with me for a minute, and that made me uncomfortable. And I didn't really know what to do about it. So I went and did the dishes. And by the time I had like came up with my comeback. Uh, they had deleted the tweet. Um, So I don't know what that was all about, but it made it weird. And uh, then other artists who like um, one, for instance, um, this beat maker named Lena Fornia, she just seemed happy to have people talking about her music and retweeted some Mm -hmm. stuff. And I could tell, Mm -hmm. like went back and looked at my profile and I was like, well, that's cool. And like, it's always better to compliment someone than to like, to criticize them even in a nuanced way. But like, if the whole point is to write run one tweet like I don't like all music like how can you consider yourselves a music <laughs> writer or a music critic or a even just a music fan if you like everything like right you can't like right. nothing but you have to know what you don't like in order to know what you do like what you like yeah, yeah I'm yeah you know, I'm, I'm kind of a past like professional hater like I've had times in my life where I hardly liked anything and that sets a pretty high bar, right? And now I right. can kind of see right. where people are coming from. And we've talked to probably 125 artists over the last three years. And I've really come to appreciate the artist's perspective on things in a new way. And like, I, I, I'm not a hater at this current moment in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm like a former mm-hmm. hater, but I still have things that I, when I, when I don't like something, I'm like, ah, it's not for me. I'm sure it's but, for but, but not to not to get too much into the forensics of it, but what was the nature of your critique? What I've been reading these, they seem so, I, you know, non-threatening. Like, this what is, could oh, you possibly This is say? what happened. I, I, it was, the person was a rapper and I said, I, I didn't care. I, that, that basically I said that I liked, I always respected their music more than I enjoyed it. And on this record, I, it didn't have any memorable bars for me. And the, the person tweeted at me, just say it's whack. Okay. And I'm like, and then you, I, I'm like, if it was whack, I would have said it was whack. It's <laughs> it's not for me, and that's a big right. difference. And like, yeah. why wouldn't yeah. you want like a nuanced approach? Uh, because rappers rappers are terrible. I think rappers, when it comes to uh, critique. Uh, rappers are pretty thin-skinned. This goes back even to the days of the source, right? Where um, rappers were running up on source writers who gave them what they felt were unfavorable 
favorable reviews. When you think you're the greatest of all time in your mind, any, even the slightest critique um, feels like an attack. And it's something in rap that I've wondered, I've wondered when we were gonna hit this, uh, uh, it's kind of like when Bill Simmons got big enough to where making fun of Isaiah Thomas got him in trouble with Isaiah Thomas. And I always think about that. Right. Whenever I'm tweeting something, I'm like, ooh, have we gotten to the point where I can't needle certain artists because they're too close to our orbit? Like Jay-Z and Drake don't care, right? Uh, Eminem doesn't care, but there's, a, there's an increasing number of artists who have either been on the program or affiliated with folks who have been on the program and would see it if we, if we made even the slightest critique. So it'll be interesting to see how we navigate this going forward. Yeah, uh, I, I was talking to a friend who's a, a music critic and someone who is more critical in public than I am. And I, we, were, we were talking about doing something together and I like introduced the concept of like, should we do some kind of disclaimer? Like, and this is gonna sound pretty hippy dippy, but that's where I've been going in my like pandemic era of how I'm thinking about art. And I'm like, you know, this comes from a place of love. Like I, okay. we do it, yeah. we do it because we have so much mm-hmm. respect overall for the art form. And he was like, no, I'm, I'm not about that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Anyway, <laughs> if you're a critic, you need to have strong opinions and stand by that shit and make well-reasoned arguments. And that's how you take yourself out of this loop of like, you know, you have no right to critique or, uh, you know, criticism is not it, it, itself an art form or like that criti- mm-hmm. crit- critics are people who can't do the art mm-hmm. so they just critique it. Those are like time-worn arguments against the concept of criticism. And I believe in the concept of criticism. So anyway, mm-hmm. that was a weird little thing. It's one thing that happened over 28 days of me listening to some pretty crazy stuff. Like I really yeah. came out of this with a new respect for Flying Lotus. And like, again, like, that's someone I know who they are. Like they, they turned the world on its head. Like they, they came up with a new kind of like palette of sounds and they're like a linchpin for this scene. Right. Uh, and I didn't think I liked that music because I've heard I you say that before at the blank club one time and it like hurt my head. It was like too loud, too many things going on. And I was like, Oh, it's like some Aphex twin or something. Like I get it. It's cool, but it's not for me. Like that, that shit hurts my head. And I've so heard I, you say this. Yeah, yeah I, I say it pretty regularly. And like, I, you know me, like, I, I like pretty, I like pleasant things. Like, <laughs> I, I like, like, John Fahey records. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I like, I like Tribe Called Quest records. Like, I don't, I don't even like, the, like, I'm, I'm this, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of this Beck record called One Foot in the Grave. It's like a kind of like, off-kilter acoustic folk record he made with the guys from K Records in Olympia, Mm. Washington, right before he got famous. And even there's a couple songs on there where like the K Olympia kind of like, I wouldn't call it grunge, but it often is looped into that kind of like early indie rock sound, has electric guitars and is like Mm -hmm. loud at some know, I skip those songs. Is that right? Yeah, totally. It's like I just I just like I'm soft. Like my whole my whole fear of dissonance. Talent, I don't I don't yeah. listen to any metal. I don't listen to any like loud, fast, hard electronic music. Like it just that that stuff doesn't appeal to me. So I I came in with a kind of trepidation about where I thought there's a there's a quality especially live to some of this LA beat scene stuff that's kind of pummeling. And it's okay. Like, okay. There's, there's and, so but, many ideas and so much volume 
And I just yeah. thought I couldn't handle it. And I found out that in my headphones, when I control the volume and you know <laughs> my mind state, I, I can handle it. You know what I mean? When you control the volume, I, I love it. Yeah, it was it was interesting for me to see um, via Twitter. I'm like, oh, look at Nate. He's he's doing his he's doing his beat scene. Nate, it's like Mr. Mr. Uh, LeBlanc goes to beat scene. It was. Uh, and so I tried to focus on albums that were released right around 2010. Like I wanted mm-hmm. to catch it like at its mm-hmm. at its time. And we've talked about this a lot on the show more in the past. But like I was kind of checked out of music at that time in my life. Like I was getting married. Mm-hmm. I was starting my career. I stopped working at the record store and I was like freed from the obligation to keep up with music. So like I wasn't listening to any of this music back then though I knew who Philo was and I had listened to a No Such Thing album and I you know I even even checked out me knows more than the average person but like right. I, I hadn't caught a lot of this so um, it was interesting to hear um, what was all going on and I found some things I really liked and actually the thing I liked the most and the thing I've added to like my rotation is a little bit closer to what I was just talking about like kind of like a, a more rocky or folky thing was the second ganja sufi record like, interesting uh, incredible and i'm like recommending okay. it to everyone now like okay I, I, that was my fit probably my favorite thing i heard and probably the best beat thing i heard was uh hudson mohawks mixtape mm-hmm. hudson's heaters mm-hmm. that is incredible like i was like holy shit i'm like is this what it's like when like people saw steph curry play at davidson like <laughs> you're just like Great. oh my god what's he doing like Mm-hmm. that's amazing i didn't know you could do that with a drum machine you know what i mean like it's just right. like incredible um and in general that one in particular came so highly recommended from the bros that i like sought it out on youtube but i was mostly going for stuff i could listen to on spotify and download on my phone and like i made right. it easy for myself to like find it's like if they if people had long albums i was choosing a short one you know what okay. i mean like okay. i kind of approached yeah. it in a way yeah. that fit into my life like i basically have an hour a day which is my lunch hour i can go walk around and listen to music and like try to sneak in a sandwich or something and not be like shirking any of my various commitments for this or for my writing or for my day job so it's like I, it, it had to fit into my life but i had a i had a cool month like i i do really appreciate what gary has founded here if anyone wants to go back and read some of this, just find mm-hmm. a hashtag MWE tweet MWE. and click on the hashtag. You'll find like so many differing opinions, some of them insanely wrong, but you know, <laughs> it'd be, and, and it's, it's kind of a cool way for people to have this excuse to go back to those things. Like I used it in previous years. There would be like things I never listened to. It's like, like Sonic, yeah. I, I like Sonic youth, right? Like I've listened to a, my fair amount of Sonic youth. Sonic youth has like 17 albums. Yep. There's a few I hadn't listened to. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I know Goo, but I don't know the one with the washing machine shirts or whatever. Uh, let right. me go listen to that one. So a lot of people and, use it that way. And having a reason, it creates a reason for you to go back and, and experience music, especially at a time where um, it's really just a tsunami of music that's coming out all the fucking time. Oh, it's and crazy. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was interesting to kind of watch you go through... Um, you know, it's like uh, I compare it to when your your kid learns to like ride a bike for the first time. I'm like, oh, I remember how fun that was. Yeah. Uh, no such thing. That that's all cool. Like, and it's it's cool to see it through somebody who can actually articulate what was dope about it. Yeah. Um, I I think um, I think your 
explanations of it made me want to go back and be like, because I, I would listen to it and go, oh, that's a beat. That's a, that's a bop. Yeah. That's, yeah. And just kind of keep going. But yeah. I was impressed with um, the way you kind of articulated your experience with it. What were some of the other kind of standout um, albums that you came across during this yeah. project? Um, there, there were a bunch of good ones. Um, there was some stuff I really, really liked. Um, I, I just, I knew who Ross G was, but again, I had gotten it in my head that his beats were like dissonant and weird and like, not for me, but he has these raw fruit series that Mm -hmm. are just like straight Mm -hmm. shops. And Mm -hmm. I, I happened upon one that sampled a bunch of like numero group stuff that I love. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so great. And then, um, he did one of like blues, like it's not Mm -hmm. exactly blues, Mm -hmm. but it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, it just, I'm going to find it in a second. It's my kind of blues. And it's just, yeah. I'm just like, these beats are incredible, dude. Like he just, he has such a clean chop and such a great sense of rhythm. And they weren't all scattered in like science fiction. Though I did go and listen to some of his science fiction stuff and loved it. So I just like, I really, I didn't think I understood his music. And so I listened to three of his projects in 28 days and thought about them and re-listened to them. And I, I don't know if you use Spotify. Yep. So, yeah. so when you listen to stuff a bunch, it kind of trains your phone to play you stuff like that after you yeah. listen to music. There was a time yeah. during this winter, uh, Dave and I are obsessed with this singer-songwriter named Jackson C. Frank. And so I, I, I was listening to so much Jackson C. Frank that basically after I listened to anything even remotely sad or acoustic <laughs> or classic rock, it was always playing me Jackson C. Frank right after as like right. a palate cleanser. And I'm like... Right this is fucking awesome. Like, and so basically I have, tri- I have now trained my phone to play me Ross G all the time. Like after uh, I to anything remotely hip hop or like world music or anything. It's like, you know, what's like that? Ross G. Ross G. So I'm listening, yeah. to, I'm just like, oh, I'm listening to Ross G all the time now, which is great. Um, yeah. I mentioned the Ganja Sufi. I really liked the Lena Fornia record that I listened to. Um, I listened to, let me see here, some Mind Design, which Mind Design is a mm-hmm. whole universe. Like I had listened mm-hmm. to some of his stuff, but I really liked what I heard. Um, yeah, there was kind of a, a middle thing. Um, I listened to this Shlomo record called Bad Vibes. You know that record? I'm not sure. I'm familiar with Shlomo. I'm not sure. I, if I, I was like, this is perfect background music. Like, I don't know if that's offensive to this person or not, but like, I was like, if I have writing to do or like, mm. not something I do all the time anymore, but if I were to like paint or like, if I needed like a creative background music, like just to think or jot down ideas, like I was like, this is great for that. And it's, oh, I, I always need stuff like that. Um, I really liked the Cutma record or Cutma. Yes. I don't know how you say yeah. it. Warm like sunshine. I listened to. Yeah. I ended up going from that and just listening to everything he'd ever had out. Like I, I think like Cutma is like that. That's my dude. I really liked him. I, yeah. I found like yeah. a new affinity for him. Um, yeah, that Ganja Sufi record, Muzzle. Um, those those were the main ones that really stood out. Where I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm finding this thing and then some things that i didn't like were like the ones that tended to be more video game sounding like they were oh just, really is that is it like the, a the bit? where it kind of like became kind of chip toony yeah the chip tune i was like eh, 
I don't. I can't listen no. to an hour of this. Like, no, it's just not my world. So there, I got in weird like back and forths with people about that. They're like, he's not just a video game producer, and you go listen to this. And I'm like, you guys obviously don't know what's going on. It's just a tweet. Like, I'm not like making some grand statement on this. No, thing. they're it's all grand whole... statements. Yeah, it's Two, like, 280 characters of the definitive last words by Nate LeBlanc. I know it's just like it was hard to like explain <laughs> to people. I'm like I'm doing this thing. If you look around Twitter, a lot of other people are doing it. It's not like yeah. the end all be all. It's just you listen to an album and make a tweet, and this is my tweet. And I don't I don't especially care to get into a big back and forth about it, especially with someone I don't know. I'm always yeah. happy to talk to the mutuals and to talk to the other music writer bros about anything. Um, and you know, I have a well-established lack of understanding about Thundercats music. I tried again with some yeah. Thundercat, listened to Apocalypse. It didn't take, um, I yeah, found myself actively yeah. annoyed basically the whole 45 minutes. I just, I do not get that. And like, I, we did a thing a couple of summers ago where I was like, I think everyone's pretending to like this. You, you said that about drunk, which is like insane to me. But yeah, yeah, we're we, you're on record with uh, yeah. not uh, not not feeling like bass can uh, can be the lead and, yeah. and carry caught, caught some new people with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, y'all get to see what we get to hear all the time here on the yes, dead exactly. pod, on the dead well, pod, well, pod. A cool thing that happened, and I happened to be in this exploration of the LA beat scene and it wasn't about that necessarily was uh Daedalus tweeted that he mm -hmm. likes our show and that he's listening to our show and he asked people for recommendations of, of other things that are like our show uh, yep. so I've been a big Daedalus fan for years um I, I'm really really into his his early work his like early 2000s work he's got a run of about four albums and EPs um, basically from, I'm, I'm not going to remember the name here, like the, his 2001 record, which I'll look up in a sec, and then up through Exquisite Corpse um, that are just magical. And I love Adventure Time, his group with uh, Frosty from Dub mm -hmm. Lab, which he describes in the thing you're about to hear as Sampledelic. Um, so it, from Invention in 2002 up through exquisite corpse in 2005 and there's great stuff after that denies the days the demise is good his live at low end theory set is really Amazing. really great um from yeah. 2008 he has great stuff throughout his i'm sorry i have to we have to stop ourselves here and i'm doing Him. it now them yeah. they them. have really great stuff um from all different parts of their career and so yeah the the opportunity arose for us to speak with them Yes, and we were very fortunate and honestly just surprised. We are getting to the point where, uh, you know, some of the people that we admire, admire the program. So we, we were definitely uh, pleasantly surprised when Daedalus kind of reached out to us about being on the show. But even with that, I, I didn't understand um, how... You know, because people say they like the show, that could mean you listen to it for 15 minutes. I thought it was lightweight, cool. Dallas has listened to several episodes, as he he alludes to in in, the, in our upcoming interview. Um, and I, we've spoken about him on the program um, a couple times. I think he is one of the most inventive uh, producers that the LA beat scene tradition um, 
that came out of that tradition, the, uh, their approach to sampling and also the layering of different types of electronics and soundscapes, uh, really just amazing. And so we were definitely fortunate to have them on the program. Uh, and I feel like it's a, you know, we'll, we'll probably have data lists on again, uh, because we, I, I think we, we really had to end early. Covered. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I reached out to them afterwards to chat about a few things, but one of the things is like, he's a, they are a resident musician at SETI, the SETI for extraterrestrial mm -hmm. intelligence. We didn't even yeah. talk about it. I'm like asking them, I'm asking them about this EP from, you know, 2001. I've been obsessed with for 20 years, but Nate. also possibly talking to aliens through music. Like, we got to get into that. Right. Making beats for ET. I, I had okay. a SETI question all lined up, but you know how it is. You, you kind of come with the questions and you see where the interview lands. But we, we'll get into that in just a moment so we, you can hear it and not just hear us talking about uh, how it went down. Um, so stay tuned right here on the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Dad bod rap pod. If you're like us, you like to talk. And if you like to talk, there's a new app that is out that you will probably enjoy. It's called Stereo. We are doing a special promotion with Stereo for the next month or so, where we are going to be hosting a conversation on Stereo Monday nights at 7.30 p.m. Nate, for those who haven't downloaded it yet, kind of describe what what is Stereo. Stereo is an app that uh, kind of fosters conversation between different people. There are hosted rooms. And um, once you set up your profile and your avatar, you can also just be paired um, with other users of the app for kind of spontaneous conversation and discussion and so it's a, like many social platforms I think it, it's a place where people congregate and discuss um, issues that are important to them there are a wide variety of opinions expressed and um, it's I'll say it's been a very interesting learning experience for us who are yes. a little, um, wary of new apps but having fun we, we are we are and so if the dad bods can get it together and download a new app and interact with it. So can you. We are encouraging all Dad Bod listeners to come download the app, check us out 7.30s, 7.30 on Mondays uh, for about the next five, six weeks. We'll be doing a special post-recording session on stereo where we talk long shit about the rapper we just interviewed. No. Um, but we will get into different kind of discussions, um, you know, give you all the updates on what's going on with the dead, but, and really just, you know, interact and vibe. It's a way for you to talk to us. There's a little function where you can record short audio clips and send them to us. 
uh, live in real time while we're doing the, the talk. And it's also just a great way to support the program if, you, if you're down for the, the dad bods and you wanna see us keep growing and blossoming. So download the Stereo app, check us out Monday nights, 7.30 p.m. PST. And we'd love to chop it up with you. And speaking of people we love to chop it up with, our next guest, Daedalus, is an amazing producer, composer, talks to aliens. Uh, they have all of the tools and perhaps the best, one of the best producers that the LA beat scene tradition has uh, spawned. And so here is our interview with Daedalus, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod, another week, another dope interview lined up for y'all. We're really excited because our next guest actually listens to the program, which some guests say, but then I, I'd be feeling like they're just shining us on. Uh, but this guest seems like he actually has been listening to the program, which is great because we're huge fans and we're, we're so happy to have him on. Want to welcome to the program. Joining us in Zoom, we have Daedalus. How's it going, man? It's really good. It's exceptional. It's Boston. I'm in Boston, and uh, okay. as such, it's it's like a little late. My 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 kid and partner are like maybe tucked away and like kind of ebbing out. So I'm gonna maybe be a little softer for it. Uh, okay. Apologies in advance, also um, for being like a little bit scatterbrained. I don't think I've talked to people like it's. <laughs> I've talked to students and I've talked to like, but like other producers and peers. It's been a minute. So really, really. Nice to communicate with humans and everything. So hello. Okay. Oof. Yeah, I hear the yeah. baby in the background. We, this might be happening. This baby thing might yeah, be happening. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. There it is. Da baby, do you want to pause? You want to? No, no, I, I think. No, you're good? We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see okay. if it continues to, to crescendo. Yeah. That's a good musical. <laughs> sure. Show. Let's see if it keeps going right. up or if it just kind of diminuendos back down. Oh, and right. then a nice little note, and then I can throw this in. And now I, I use they, them pronouns. And uh, okay. this just a, a small little, little okay. side. Yeah. Got you. Got you. Awesome. Um, no worries. We hear Nate's crying on here every week and we <laughs> manage to get through full programs. So uh, no worries there. Um, so when, when I think about your work and your music, um, I was going through the exercise of trying to explain who you are to someone who hadn't heard of you. And it, it made me want to ask you, how do you describe your music? Genres can be weird and, and reductive, um, and you definitely play with a lot of different genres, but, but like, how do you, do, do, you, do you define yourself? And if so, how do you define yourself as a, as a musician, kind of categorically? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've worn a few different hats in my career, um, but I think largely just, you know, the thing that's always felt most comfortable, and maybe it's just my affect is like composer, producer beat maker has kind of been the the range of things but that being said I, I do i don't mind triangulating myself based on my influences like to me the seminal music 
was like the bomb squad's approach to sampling is completely my mo just fast forward a, a little bit of technology and and maybe also like a little bit of like extra 90sness right like <laughs> like the the rave stuff happened and i was influenced by it but in many ways if you look at those like rave producers they were sampling bob squad production and those bomb squad was in turn sampling funk and soul from the 70s and you keep you can keep on going back and back in the influences but the way they culminated with someone like hank shockley in that situation is so much like I, I that's just the coolest thing and we all get stuck in like our adolescent ears and that to me is just the pinnacle so yeah right on man right on well you know um i got a question to ask you and, and we're gonna probably jump around a little bit because your your career is so expansive but um uh, I, when looking at when looking at your uh, catalog, you have some work with MF Doom, and pretty much my MO these days is if I talk to an artist and they've worked with Doom, I kind of ask them about it. Um, and for you, it was Exquisite Corpse 2005 Ninja Tune. Uh, Mike Ladd was on it and stuff. But I know that you have a history with with Doom as well because you know they sampled famously sampled accordion for accordion and. Uh, or experience for accordion. Mm -hmm, exactly. And so um, can you just let us in a little bit about that, your relationship with Doom, the making of the song, your impressions as as a collaborator and a listener? Yeah, I mean, so Doom is, is I know, much covered by your program. And I really appreciated both, like being able to listen to your episodes where you've been breaking down their work and then, and then also more recently the tribute episode and the kind of ways that y'all were able to let us into your process of, of mourning. And, and I was caught off guard by the news as well. And I hadn't talked to Doom in a, in a very long time, but there was the occasional reach out, which is phenomenal. And also, you know, because of my work with Ninja Tune and they're, they're kind of being based in the UK at a certain point, it meant that there was some overlap out there, but yeah, as you, as you all have kind of said so eloquently, like they were an unknowable character in so many ways, as much as they said kind of everything in their lyric, there was some parts, but then that being said, I was able to tour with them a little bit. So just to take you to the top, I guess, cause this is the program to, to talk about it if ever there was one, but um, it, Mad Lib is such a fixture in LA and is, is you know, uh, the, the best. It's just the best beat maker in my, in my, you know, it's like, if I'm going to make any kind of top 10 list, as I know you all are apt to, they, they're, they lodge easily in the number one spot. And, and I feel so grateful that early, early in my career, my very first record, I had the chance to work with, with Mad Lib, um, on the, as is yesterday's new quintet project. Mm. Um, he did a remix of, uh, the first song on that record called playing parties. And that was all thanks to this guy, Carlos Nino, who is like an amazing fixture in LA, mostly in the jazz and hip hop scenes, but like he was able to basically make that happen. Like I, I had some work with Carlos, he was kind of a fan and he kind of took me on his back and just got me like, like, uh, like bus drivers on that record. Uh, you know, this remix by, by, uh, by Madlib, there's a maybe not so successful high priest remix on there. No slight to them. It's just like, he kind of mailed it in. It's obvious, like didn't listen to the song, just kind of did something. Yeah. It's cool. And then also, um, oh gosh, I'm going to blank on names, but like it, it, it formed together as something larger than the record aspired to be. It's a very intimate record. And then, so and and this is where things get a little bit mired in kind of histrionics, but it's like, it's true. It's like, I paid Madlib in weed um, because we didn't have enough money. To, like, <laughs> and I knew kids who grew and it was, you know, it's maybe a very LA story in some ways. 
So we paid him like half in money and half in weed. And you can hear it on the remix. He like, he's just the first moment is he like, has this panned bong hit, like going back and forth. Like it's, I think he was just paying tribute to the thing. And, you know, hopefully he got really blazingly high. Um, but then apparently there was this moment where maybe because of the confusion or maybe because of his own interests, Madlib remixed more of the record. That's what I heard later. I've always wanted to hear more of the tracks, but just knowing that he remixed playing parties, we put that out. We had Madlib bonus beats on like the EP single. It's just like an incredible opportunity to work with this hero of mine. Um, fast forward some years and the Mad Villain project gets leaked famously before the record comes out, right? And like people are, are kind of saying that it's going to like diminish the returns on the record. It's going to like fail. And so they quickly go back into the studio, record some tracks. And apparently in that moment, Madlib in his like, I have a million beats. Here's all these beat tapes. Doom somehow settles on that experience flip um, that becomes accordion. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the framing of things. But but because uh, I was kind of cool with the Stones Throw people at that time, which I, I don't know why. Like seriously, I'm like a Santa Monica kid. Like there's no reason that like that that peanut butter. But it, it, you know, thank goodness for Carlos Nino and those again who those broad ears of that city. Um, but they kind of bring me in, like I'm the only credited sample on that record, maybe because I, I you know, decidedly did not sue them immediately or whatever, like, <laughs> not, like Stones those used to. And uh, and and they brought me on tour. I was able to do the LA date and then the, the SF date and they offered actually the rest of the tour. They're like, hey, do you want to come along and like play accordion on the other dates? And this was like J-Lib and Mad Villain together. Like I was able to tour with Dilla and like, you know, J-Rock and all these heroes. And I said no, because of course I was like young and stupid. Like, I don't know if I want to play accordion. Like that isn't really my thing. Like I'm not, I don't want to be that guy. And then like, I would kill to be that guy right now, <laughs> you know, go back in time and just tell my foolish self to like, so that's where I got a chance to hang out with doom though. And like kind of meet doom and his manager, his like kind of his bro manager. And like one of my early vivid memories of that tour was we were pulling up into SF like well before the date. And we had, you know, uh, we had flown in, I think Doom maybe wasn't on the flight for all the reasons that we all know now subsequently, like maybe, you know, he was driving up and like there was a different thing, but we were all in the car together and we were driving by some mall in the city and like Daniel and, and his manager jump out to go get jerseys before the show. Like they had taken the whole money from the tour or like at least from that show and like, okay, we're going to go do this thing and like buy these like, you know, like official jerseys rather than like keep the money for later it's just whatever and it's great and me and j-rock peace out to go to one of these like burrito spots that sells weed this is like in the before <laughs> i love i mean this is you know I, I was so grateful to be a fly on the wall that thing and uh and then yeah that the show was okay it was really fun and that was that was it for my tour moment but i definitely made a deal at that time to like keep up with with doom and and get kind of you know like uh, played by them in a way like you know, hey, like, hey, give us half the money up front and we'll, we'll totally be working on this. We got time in our schedule right now. This is great. This is like perfect. Actually, we're going to be in the studio next week. Like, I'll write to it. I'll pick the beat and we'll do this. And like that never happened. Mm. That was not to be. Um, I gave him the money and then, yeah, it was like quiet. It was crickets for a long time. <laughs> I could tell you the second half of that in a minute. But the main thing is, is that I had to kidnap him and uh, got the beat and the uh, verse <laughs> and uh it was great i mean all time it, the you know it's like 16 quick bars like it's not the most most uh and it, i know it's not a classic doom doom verse 
but I still appreciate it so much. He made me into a villain on that. And uh, yeah, I, I'll never, um, never not love hang Like, okay. He, you know, it's like he required in his writing process, he required like uh, a bunch of weed, uh, Henny, and uh, it was a really hot day in LA and I didn't have any air conditioning, but he was still like down. And so he was like shirtless in my studio, like kicking the verse. Wow. Uh, it was, yeah, it was bizarre. And actually, if you listen really carefully to the acapella, which it's like, there's an acapella on the single, you can hear his manager like uh, snoring in the background because he's just like, <laughs> super lamped out. It's, uh, I'm so, yeah, that was a thing. That's, That's awesome. Man. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay, I'm so glad that Dave didn't take this question because I know we were both super into this uh, project, but I want to know everything about the household EP. Oh, wow. Give me a sec yeah. to set it up, please. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just remember, so I kind of had this epiphany about electronic music kind of because of Prefuse 73 and like him kind of like taking production and then breaking it down into such smaller fragments and rearranging them. It mm -hmm. kind of rearranged my mind and your your EP, which I believe is on his label, correct me if I'm wrong, and the Busy Signal remix in particular, I think is just one of my favorite pieces of music. It's mm. really, really beautiful. And I, I, I would love if you have any stories about it, but I also want to talk and it's fun to do visual things on an audio podcast a little <laughs> bit about the cover um, mm -hmm. because at the time, Cozy and Dan were, you know, well-regarded artists, but it, to me, it really seemed to sum up the kind of joys of bedroom production. I remember in particular being taken by the kind of the computer setup and the the color scheme of it and the big spindle of cds that we all used to have to like burn each other's cds <laughs> to me it just it just really marks a moment in time and i don't know how this term resonates with you but i've been marinating a lot on the term folktronica and like the, the time <laughs> when um you know you could have an acoustic guitar and kind of a skeletal beat and it, it was kind of a thing and so I, I know that's not really a question but if you could please just kind of walk us through that time in your life and what that project means to you and if there are any memories you have particularly of the busy signal remix i'd just love to hear them Sure. I mean, there's a lot to lots to share. Um, Cozy and Dan, I met at a concert in the OC. They were super faded and um, they really stood out. I don't mean to have every story I tell involve remarkable amounts of weed, but it was LA at a certain moment and and we sure. all we all were figuring it out um, one puff at a time, I guess. And uh, but they were super blunted and it was like they had a magnetism. But this is when they were first teaming up as a couple, much less being Cozy and Dan. So I'm, I'm grateful to kind of met them in, earlier in their process. And we have a lot of crossover and collaborations throughout the years. They also did the cover for Adventure Time, which is not the cartoon. I have to always say this is like a, a project I had before the cartoon. We had a little legal scuffle with the, the cartoon, but not not anything terrible. It just was more like they told us to cease and desist. And we're like, we were here before you. Like, we can't doesn't work that way. But that's that's neither here nor there. Um, you can still find that project around, but yeah, that was like a sample sample delic project. Um, but yeah, in terms of the household EP, it's it's a little bit. So Prefuse is a little controversial in LA because uh, he came up with this like very novel sound. Obviously, was like the kind of golden boy of like Warp's electronic label. Like really seen him and Jimmy Edgar. I remember getting this really strong look in that earlier aughts moment, 
and and kind of being like we're this is this is the people who are going to take that sound elsewhere and of course prefuse kind of being I, I believe it's atlanta is where they're from and and pulling heavily from from like incredibly like from hip-hop roots and taking to ultra places in a time when there was only a handful of people funk strong and a few others who were kind of in that beats lane in a way that would really be brought to fruition just a little bit later by especially people in LA but also people in Miami and some others I will say that so like the controversial element is that you know like Prefuse was sampling rappers and kind of remixing their voice and I remember specifically Mike and I being really pissed off that he was being sampled without his like consent there was a lot of people taken without consent in a in an era where rather than it being in the past traditionally these samples are like dead and gone voices people can't really like you know it's their estates can get angry about it and can sue but it isn't like the living breathing person can like look you in the eye and like in a very freestyle fellowship kind of way like take someone to task and so sure. prefuse was a little bit not supposed to come to la let's just say you know like it was okay. a little bit dangerous oh. But then someone like Carlos, who was an earlier release, uh, Carlos Nino, the aforementioned person, was also in this group called Amon Contact, who, uh -huh. if you really look at, at the ur of beats, like the first group out of LA to do it, I would really point at them. Okay. Like, they had such sinuous, like, there was nothing there but the beat. And like, yeah. it was so minimal at the time. It's like, kind of like, what is, what's like, there's no hook, there's no like, you know, and. And yet at the same time, it's it's undeniably like, oh, you can hear later, like how someone like Flyla would easily come out of that tradition, mm. just just evolve it and take a little time out of it. Um, more specifically to your point, though, about the busy signal, I, I adored the way that record came together. And it was really like, you know, Folktronica, as much as I might have some chagrin at that, uh, it, it it's apt. You know, I got some like I'm sampling my kitchen like it's <laughs> it's the it's that thing and that picture you see really was my studio at the time just with like not with all the flying things and all that stuff but mm -hmm. it was that's also where i recorded all the weather stuff and like it really felt like that was this meeting ground for for certain people for a period of time um but the busy single remix and, and if you talk to others there was a lot of people who were prefuse kind of used on their records without credit necessarily and this mm. was one of my earlier experiences with that like he did a remix on my record and then suddenly my song's on his record and it's not really credited. Mm -hmm. It's fine. It's it's credited in certain ways, but I just it's really interesting. Attribution is such a funny thing, right? Like we're all at the end of the day, when you look back, it's like, oh man, we're all just fighting over some crumbs here. It's like this is not big big money. It's actually just really intimate. And the fact that we can have this conversation, the fact that we can like just talk to each other, it's like wouldn't it have been nice for them to have just been like, hey, I'm doing this on my record what do you feel about that like great but kind of negated that conversation didn't let let that possibility ring which is fine in hindsight but like at the time it was a little bit tough and then you talk to people like fortet and like there's a lot of artists who were equally used by prefuse but i think it really comes down to he was just a busy-minded person and you saw that one moment in time he's really prolific yeah it's kind of inevitable and you know maybe it's part of this kind of like he brought a little bit of hip-hop attitude with him where just anything is fair game as long as it sounded good it was fair game yeah i i have to say and guys if you just allow me a quick follow-up um i really really appreciate your candor of course and i'm kind of bummed that that left such a negative taste in your mouth so let me just say it's just a beautiful piece of music and um, you know, it's brought a lot of people happiness. It sucks that the business side got messed up and I, I appreciate you giving us this context, but like, I just want you to know, like it's, it's your, the whole EP and the way it crescendos at that point, I just think is, is just amazing. 
Uh, no, but I, I appreciate it. That's that's the thing, though. It's like I, I am so pro it. I'm so like it, at the time I remember it kind of like basically marshing my mellow. But it it, it 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 subsequently it's all such small things, small potatoes. And I'm just grateful that it exists at all. And it really like it shouldn't. There is so much things that are out of that exact moment that shouldn't exist because it was just like unviable um, that, you know, it's like the industry had crumbled so much and there wasn't really like CD sales and that, you know, came out gratefully on vinyl and like, gosh, like, I don't think we move many units on that thing. My whole catalog is a testament to not moving many things, but just persisting. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, do you consider yourself a, a, a part of the LA beat scene? Do you feel like you're you're one of those folks? Can you can for for listeners and I, I say this because I was first introduced to you and your music at Low End Theory, mm-hmm. and I'm like, who is this guy dressed like this? Like, who is this? And then D Styles is like, bro, that's Daedalus. Like, just Aww. check it out. Um, can you can you describe for folks um, kind of what it was like to be a, a part of that as, as it was emerging and kind of how do you feel about your place in? you know, what we know now as, as LA beat scene. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm grateful for the fact that I'm a little older to have seen a pre moment to see mm-hmm. the moment where LA was really tribalistic. So it's like, I, I, you know, it's like, I don't necessarily consider myself part of the hip hop tradition partially because LA hip hop is such a specific thing. And I would have never been a let never been like easily let into the club. Like I had so many friends that got stepped on trying to go to the good life, uh, being well under age and like, just getting to, you know, getting to to the spaces and like basically being sold blank tapes, stuff like that would happen. And like, just, you know, it's like, because we're all, we're so hungry for culture, but like there, there were certain places you weren't supposed to go. And this is in post 92 Los Angeles. It's like, it's very palpable there that there was this like tension in the air and that things were creatively happening from it. And, and in many ways, like not to, like uh, the freestyle fellowship had imploded by the time that, you know, I was kind of putting out records and, and you kind of saw what was happening at celestial and other labels. And like a lot of labels had let, let a lot of artists down. There was a lot of bitterness in the scene. It was also a lot of tribalism in terms of if you were like a house person, you were playing doc Martin's night. If you were a drum and bass person, you were playing science and like DJ June and these, like these names that aren't necessarily in everybody's ears right now. Cause they're not necessarily, you know, they're not putting out music, you know, in this kind of way, but, that was these were these like strided divisions. And so if you were doing something else, you were cast out. And so all of us in the beat scene were just cast outs that we were at like sketchbook was the precursor to low end theory. Sketchbook was Kuma, Take, Sacred and a few others like Beat Night. And people would much like the good life. We would go out into like this dirt lot next to it and like play each other beats off cassettes like Ross G would be there every week doing that. And that's like how I met them and later fly low and, 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 and all the other people that constituted the first wave that was playing at low end. Mm. Um, and, and this was like meeting ground. And so it was really natural to go like, well, here's this like kind of dive bar dump that we're playing these like instrumental sections for each other. And, you know, like flipping, flipping Mr. Wazo beats at like the wrong speed and stuff. And like, and then to translate that to a club, like the airliner, which was, it, you know, okay, so this is something else that kind of came to our attention that's just so bizarre in hindsight, but like Studio 54 ran for like five years. Good Life ran for like three years. Mm-hmm. Like oh, so many of these seminal, like like capital letter clubs go on for a handful of years and they're like, you know, forever enshrined. Low One Theory went on for like 12 years. Yep. 
it's yeah. bizarre and it, like wow. so many people came through there it's not just like the tom york's and erica badu's but like the very first odd future show and like you you didn't it didn't feel like history but it did feel like church you know what i mean mm. and, and the, the beats were so far forward and so pushed and of course there was there was vo vo uh, voices that were important there someone like no can do yeah. being yeah. uh but then also at the same time, No Can Do is like not like an MC. He's like a, you know, he's like a, he's really, you know, he had, he, he had a voice to be the kind of master of ceremonies, but not necessarily someone that would flow over a beat, right? Same mm -hmm. thing with Bus. Bus got their start being the same kind of MC over at Concrete Jungle LA, which was Kev's earlier club in the city. So that was like a drum and bass club that had a hip hop room in the back uh, edit from like Glitch Mob, who would go by just DJ Ed would like be running the hip hop room and, and so like boss apparently cut his teeth there it, it's yeah so it, it feels monumental to be part of that history but it, it is really mired in a lot of confusion and like i don't you know i played like the third one and then i also played like the second to last one you know what i mean like and mm. all the stuff in between is entirely my existence but like i'm just such a small i'm just like a single brick in that giant tower of like people that came through there and did did what they did they laid it down and the residents of course deserve all their flowers like that's the craziest part like people like these styles who replaced edit actually at at low end theory um i believe just like weekly would just kill it every time and then you know go travel around the world play a bunch of other gigs and come back on a wednesday just to kill it again it's it's bizarre man um you know i have i have another question that's mm -hmm. that's related it's another component of your career uh you've been on so many illustrious labels um brain feeder anticon um ninja tune but 2019 faculty at berkeley school of music um yeah. can you let people in a little bit on daedalus's classroom like what what's the pedagogy <laughs> like there and like what how is it being in front of a classroom and pupils and and all that so on the very real when i first um so my, both my parents are educators and there was an aspect of education is a, a the kind of place where you go to not be as vibrant and creative no no offense to my parents but like they they took time away from their creative practices to kind of teach and that was the majority of their their livelihood in life and so there was always this feeling of like okay well when you get tired of this music thing you can go be an educator and that was like never my mindset that was like never gonna it was like i'm not gonna do that like i love this touring thing and like and so even prior to the pandemic and all that stuff falling apart uh i'd i'd gotten wind and this is you know after years of like these kind of like street beat making programs being being around i don't know if you all are familiar with this kind of world of like there's some great schools that aren't official they're not like accredited universities but they're just like institutions that are formed around this idea of beat making largely beat making and sometimes other ancillary music skills because people are so desperate for knowledge and they oftentimes turn to like youtube university is like a kind of derogatory term towards what goes on in just people being like you know check out this fl studio flip to make your trap beats and it's it's very it's like it isn't as vibrant as the music space itself mm. but berkeley was working on something that was really audacious which is this like edi it's like electronic digital instrument so basically electronic instrument as performance and mm. You know, it's it's uh, for me where it's like the primacy of my my live show is like always about like performing the electronic music as live as possible. And I, I I feel like I'm coming, even though I never played a good life, I feel like I'm coming from the space of like, if you aren't performing the music, it's not compelling. It's not speaking directly to the listener. No, you know, hey, everybody can do things differently. But just to me, 
seeing people like AC or Mike and I back in the day, and their command of the stage made the music have so much more meaning and depth. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to bring that, and of course, I'm not not a wordsmith, and like you know, very few people in the world can be. Um, but to find ways of doing that with instruments, and especially being amplified by electronic possibilities. And so when when I heard that the school was not only offering these kind of this kind of primary instrument as digital, um, but they also were trying to really figure out what the curriculum was going to be the pedagogy exactly. And so I could have a hand in that. Like I couldn't mm -hmm. say no to that. And actually, all my suppositions about music education being reductive is totally wrong. Like, it's the best. I am totally a vampire feeding off the energy of the youth. And it's like <laughs> been incredibly nourishing. And, and also to be able to be somewhat of a kind of a realistic voice in a place that is a bit of a tower of like music theory and thought, but like oftentimes without being like assailed by like, hey, well, you may want to think about how to make this business resonate. There's, there's people that are definitely doing that at Berkeley, but it's nice to be, especially for the electronic instrument side of things, where they're kind of, you know, it's like they're oftentimes being fed, well, you can immediately transition your job into like being a uh, music sound designer at some like video game company. Totally viable, totally cool, but like, hey, you can also go be like a very successful electronic musician out in the world. Like, these are possibilities. It doesn't have to just be some EDM thing. It could also be beats. It could be that. So thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, that, that sounds amazing. And uh, who better to represent that idea than you? So that, I think those kids are pretty lucky, too. Um, I, you and I talked about this a little bit on Twitter, but I want to talk about it on the podcast. Um, I believe if I'm not getting the title wrong on, on the album Rethinking the Weather, you have an incredible track, uh, Dark Days, that is whistling based. Um, and you you told me and blew my mind a couple of weeks ago that it was Micah Nine doing this this incredible crazy whistle like layered whistling. I'll play a little segment of it here so people know what we're talking about because this is not like some dude sitting on a fence whistling. This is like some pretty high level whistling. Can you tell us about how that track came together? And did you know that Mike and Nine had this hidden skill and therefore like set it up for that? Or can you just give us the world of this song? No, I mean, it's like that whole record is such an incredible crash course in LA hip hop because uh, I think at that time, a lot of the, the beat makers, you know, people like Omid, Fat Jack, Thavius Beck, there's a lot of people who would be making beats for, for the Blowed and the Blodians and that like that like assembled cast uh, uh, of incredibleness, but like it was largely tapped. Like there was like Omid was like gonna be the beat maker for these people, and like equally everybody was kind of like busy with projects. And so I think Bus and and Kamal um, Radio and Active were looking for something different. Maybe I I was like I had worked with Bus Driver on that first record on that on that Quiet Now. Um, Quiet Now track. And, and it was that thing of like, okay, well, I'm doing this other thing and it's going to be different. You want to come and join and like, sure. But like, I didn't realize that I was going to be basically like ushered into the secret society and like the people who came through the studio at that time, it blew my mind. And a lot of them didn't like, they would just hang out and just like, 
this, you know, again, like this is in Santa Monica, like kind of deep in like what would call Dogtown. If you all are familiar with that area, it's it's not like nice or glitzy, especially at that time. It wasn't like Silicon Beach or anything like that. It wasn't, <laughs> but it, it did have this kind of aspect of like it being just a few blocks from the ocean and a very open open-ended household in the kind of sense that people would just kind of flow in and out and and bus would come in with all the beat like all of his rhymes like meticulously layered out like in these like endless books and kamal like having concepts and just being like a scatter shot every time he kicked it it would be like differently metered and differently mm. situated and that brought a lot of energy but then the people again who came through and so like mike and i and you know he's a gigantic figure not only like a gigantic figure in hip-hop but like a, just a big person and i remember like i don't think my microphone stand had like enough reach <laughs> like I kept on going up but yeah like it was like i was kind of like you know we were everything was a challenge round in that studio in those sessions it was like how can i you know uh it's cussing's cussing's fine i've heard plenty of your guests cuss like, trying to like fuck <laughs> with yeah. them as much as possible okay great yeah yeah trying to fuck with them as much as possible like hey you, you guys want something in three four well let's do something in like no time signature like let's just like make it open it or like let's just play something along and like i remember one point just saying like we need some whistling and bus was just like immediately like i got a guy and it was micah you know that kind Ooh. of stuff is crazy that's um, so interesting because we we've heard a lot of people say like in the freestyle fellowship he's the horn player right and like i, I don't know like they're i we could go into our whole theory about who are the other instruments but let's keep it focused here and so to me it was just a, this super i've always loved that song i put it on a lot of mixtapes and just like something i've always been interested in and i guess just to get really technical on it is it a couple different layers of him mm -hmm. whistling okay he's like playing off the melodies he's like soloing essentially against himself in a couple of different ways and i i was like okay if there were ever was if there was ever any question about micah micah's like musical uh capacity or like it like if what he does is uh jazz or they just it opens up this whole like kind of sector of like we we have felt and we interviewed him very early in the podcast that he doesn't get his due right and so in 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 many ways he could be considered the most skilled or the most talented or maybe one of the best people to ever rap or to approach this music in such his unique way and it your your track and you telling me that has just opened my mind up that i was so wrong i was not thinking big enough about how good he is right so yeah. anyway more just wanted to share that than anything else and just appreciate you like supplying that little piece of trivia and like well, I, I just really like that song i will i mean i appreciate that so much and i will say that like some of their heroes if you talk to a lot of the bloatians in general like their heroes aren't necessarily hip-hoppers or mm -hmm. like rappers they're like lambert lambert hendrix and ross like vocalese artists mm -hmm. um that's like you know al Jarreau figures in there like these people who mm -hmm. who they bring a different skill set and like they translate it into a place where they found uh, they found a viable commercial avenue for it but i wouldn't have been surprised if it had just been a couple years earlier and it was still the world stage and billy higgins like if they had just been vocal jazz people rather than mcs interesting okay. yeah I, I, I guess the only thing i could say to that is like i don't consider bobby mcfarren necessarily or like a lambert and hendrix and ross to be cool but like the fellowship are like the coolest guys ever, right? So that's like to bring that hip hop swag to it, I think changes it 
quite a bit, at least for me, but I'm obsessed with hip hop since I'm a little kid, right? No, no, and, and you're right. You're absolutely right. Especially the fact that they were able to say something rather than it being kind of window yeah. dressing or, you know, like yeah. they were saying deep and meaningful things, especially in a time period that needed more of that. And yeah. I think if they had gotten more of their flowers, if they had gotten bigger, we would have gotten more of that message, that urgency uh, in a louder fashion, rather than the kind of the, you know, the clown makeup uh, quite literally of, um, of South Central at times, or just the kind of the gangster rap um, mannerism that just is not that city. It's just, you know, that's just, it's a kind of a fantasy, right? That got painted. Right. Yeah, you know. absolutely. Well, um, we barely got to scratch the surface of your music. Thank you for I know. other artists. We would have to have you some back sometime to talk about some of your other incredible works, but um, just like really, really want to thank you and just say like, we appreciate the fact that you care about the show and really, really appreciate you joining us for these moments and sharing your stories, like just awesome stuff. Cool. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thank you all. <laughs> really appreciate it. And yeah, equally, if, if we, uh, if ever it happens that there are more like shows, like I hope San Jose continues to like rise and shine. Yes. And, uh, and yeah, I look forward to, to hearing all the outgrowth. Dad Bod Rap Pod, that was our conversation with Daedalus. Pretty much the coolest person ever. Um, you never know looking at their style of dress and their eccentric form of music. Wasn't sure what we were gonna get, but super down to earth uh, told, gave the goods on some of those stories, man. Did he, or did they, excuse me, did they say that Doom had issues flying and maybe that's why they sent an imposter to certain places. He, they didn't say that, say that, but that's what I picked up. Yeah. It, the, the Doom part of the interview was very revealing. I think they understood their place in Doom's career extremely well mm. and were like very candid about like, the struggles of working with the the tortured genius mf doom right i i'm i it was a while ago so i'm not exactly recalling the exact thing you just brought up but maybe um and who, who likes to fly mm -hmm. i mean <laughs> i mean it's just kind of part of uh part of the job description if you're going to be a musician whose you know services are in demand to go live throughout other, you know, municipalities, but I, I think- Or, or Donna Mask and just send other people. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of wicked, wickedly ingenious. I don't want to start rumors. I'm just kind of parsing through what Daedalus said. And and there, there, were, there were definitely some great stories peeled back the curtain a little bit on uh, the early days of LA Beat Scene, uh, as well as their storied career, which just continues uh, you know, working at Berkeley School of Music, um, 
is just amazing. And it's, it's great to see that uh, a producer who still claims and reps hip hop um, is, is in these type of places. And, and he still seems like he really is affirming himself as a hip hop guy, which, um, which I don't know. I felt, I felt seen through that. Um, so yeah, we, we appreciate Daedalus. Hopefully we'll be able to get them back on the program to continue our meta discussion about music. Um, and you know, that's what we do here on the dad bod rap pod. We are the number 67th top music interview podcast in America for a reason. Um, Nate, are there 66 programs that are better than this? I'm not, I don't want to be conceited, but I kind of uh, feel like, know. I don't know. Personally, I don't think so, but uh, there are probably 67 podcasts that like fit their niche. Like, you know, okay. you have to find your, okay. you have to find okay. your tribe. You know what I okay. mean? Like, okay. I feel like we've, we've just scratched the surface of uh, rotund underground hip hop heads. Our uh, tribe we, is we called Quest. <laughs> that is our tribe. Uh, yes. Absolutely. I also, when we when we have our little successes, I'm like, why didn't we start this 10 years earlier? Like, imagine where we would be now. Like, we all knew each other. We were all conversant in the same topics. Like, I know... Pod- podcasting wasn't a thing. That's oh, why. It, it fully was a thing, dude. There were definitely people doing it back then. And those are the big people now. Like, you know, like, we could have we could have gotten in on the... On the front end, the front it would have been like, of like getting not, getting not a food truck like in 05. Independent hip hop podcasting or whatever it is we do, but like podcasting as a concept. Yeah. Like we, yeah. we could have like been so far ahead of that. Like a, yeah, I, I a, I, a story I, I'll I, tell you off mic about an opportunity that I had that I think about all the time. And I'm like, that that would have been a good idea. I would really? have been so immature. There would have been like hundreds of hours of recordings of me being an idiot, but you know, is it is this the day you met Mark Marin? <laughs> instead of becoming underground hip hop's Mark Marin, <laughs> you are to me, bro. If that if that's any consolation, uh, really a- appreciate your sardonic wit on this program. Shout out to Dave Ma, um, getting getting over a little bit of the post vaccination yuckies, but uh, he's he's gonna be all right. We're gonna have him back next week, hopefully. And yeah, we're just. Thankful for all of uh, you folks who have been listening. Um, even though we didn't start podcasting in 2010, uh, we did this three years ago and it just continues to blossom and grow. And we appreciate y'all for that. If you want to continue to support the program in a major way, download the Stereo app. Stereo is an app that allows you to have conversations with people from all over the world. And you can pop into rooms and listen to fly dialogues by uh, relevant content makers. Uh, And one of the cool things about the Stereo app is it allows you to record your own audio clips and send them in during this live conversation. So we've been doing this for a couple of weeks. We're gonna be doing it for the next month or so. Every Monday, 7.30 Pacific Standard Time, we are going to have a Stereo session where you can hear two of us chop it up about our Monday night recording session, kind of the latest happenings in the world of rap and really just anything that comes into our, our minds and hearts during that space. So download the app, check us out 7:30 PST Mondays. It's the dad bod rap pod stereo sesh. Uh, we are also on the other social media platforms at dad bod rap pod on Twitter 
at Dad Bod Rap Pod on Instagram. We drop new episodes every Thursday. We are the Dad Bod Rap Pod.